1: There's too much talking, texting, tweeting, posting, too much noise altogether. In silence is strength and peace and space. Imagine. Silent forever.
2: The Penis Project Podcast is proudly supported and sponsored by Prost. Exercise for Prostate Cancer Incorporated. A not-for-profit charity set up in 2012 by myself, Dr. Joe Miniman. If you want to know any more information about Prost, including our online service now available, please just go to prost.com.au. Prost means cheers to your health, so Prost to you. So
0: stop for a second and listen. Hello Penis Project podcasters, welcome to episode number. I have no idea what episode number it is today actually, so we'll have to add that little bit in later. So today we are going to speak to Ron. Ron had prostate surgery way back in 2018 and he has an interesting story and a very different approach to lots of the other people we've already interviewed, so it'll be great to chat to him today. Welcome Ron. Thank you. And
2: hello Jojo, you're here. Good morning and um, really lovely to have Ron with us today who's going to offer a different perspective to um, (laughs) some other men we've had.
0: (laughs) So Jo, you can start.
2: Okay, so um, Ron you gave us a really nice overview of your whole experience with prostate cancer and um, one of the things that you mentioned right at the beginning about your early concerns was that you were very concerned about how your continence control would be you and your wife were prioritizing um how you're going to get through it and and you thought that um in order it would be getting rid of the prostate cancer and then having the continence control and then the sexual function was more like a a third thing so how did all the continence aspect of things go for
1: you really it just came down to a an order of priority. You come from an engineering environment, so you're quite pragmatic in what you do. So the first order of business was to deal with the cancer. And with it gone, what comes next? Well, you're going to leak and um, it's one of those things that if you didn't get control of, it's with you all day every day. So fix that and then for the you know the joys in your life, chase that if it comes. And, but at that time, I suppose I really didn't understand that, uh, you know, the sex life would be so hard to reattain. But notwithstanding that, before I'd even met Melissa, the conversation with um, the urologist was along the lines of two out of three, and that was um, the cancer, the leakage, and then we see where the rest of life goes. Number
2: three, the sexual function. Yeah. yeah. And And did, I didn't actually look after you um, at all, Ron, so... Um, did you have the opportunity to have any preparation time before your operation with, you know, the pelvic floor training or with a continence nurse or physiotherapist?
1: Very um, briefly and only in the context of Hollywood Hospital. Yeah. So the three girls there was, um, Ron, do you know what this is about? I think so. So I went through it again. The, was it Lisa, the one that deals with the fitness? Yeah. Um, and uh, it wasn't until after the um, the catheter came out, Le- Leslie? Leslie. Leslie, Leslie yep. the... Um, Continence nurse. Continence nurse, yeah. When she came out, she said, let me see your pelvic floor exercises. But really, that was the first test of them. And given my movements, she said, no, nah, you haven't got it. Uh, um, so from that, it was go away and uh, and do some work. But even then, it was, well, okay, something I need to get on top of. But it wasn't... I didn't understand how important the pelvic floor exercises were.
2: And mm-hmm. so did you did you end up ha- um, having a physiotherapy assist you? No? No?
1: No, so it was one of those where I got told off in the yep. uh, the first four weeks after the <laughs> surgery because <laughs> I, um, I practised hard at the, the pelvic floor exercises. Sure. yep. And they said, you know, three times a day, five or ten, and, and this is what you do. Well, I was doing up to 60-odd, and on the basis that more is better than less, and, uh, and it still wasn't working, so I got told off because, well, you're making it tired, and that just didn't, making the muscles tired, that didn't make sense to me
0: okay I told you off
1: <laughs> um one of I th- who's the uh, the nurse that you sort of go to the administration side the
0: prostate cancer nurse yeah yeah,
1: yeah. so um you know and it was in speaking with her like i'm not seeing any progress here i'm still leaking um i'm not seeing it diminish well what are you doing oh you fool you know you've um you're doing too much so that that, I, and I didn't slow down a lot. I heard what she said, but maybe I knocked it back to forty-five.
0: That's unlike you to not do as you're told.
1: Of course, yes. Yeah.
2: <laughs> and so, have, has your continence resolved now? We're like almost two years down the track. Do you still need to wear pads at all, no. or no?
1: No. So um, three months, around about three months after the surgery, was uh, um, go back and see the urologist. Yeah. And um, at that time, almost within a day or two before that, it was like a snap that I had some control. You know, that the the leakage had dropped right off. And within a week of that, it had pretty much um, come under control so that I was much more comfortable and uh, started letting the pads go. Just wore them at night time and uh, not of a daytime. And it's been like that ever since. Pretty shortly after that, I met up with Melissa.
2: Okay, so that's really good. Do you still happen to do pelvic floor exercises?
1: Absolutely. I've got a, a reminder on my phone three times a day. And after listening to your earlier podcasts, the, um, the pattern of the uh, exercises would be maybe in the morning I'll do the quick ones um, and I'll try and do longer ones at lunchtime. I don't last a minute and, uh, you know, whatever, a mix of a night time. But, you know, it doesn't matter whether I'm driving, standing, whatever. The one thing that I found that helped with continence earlier on is that standing is a problem. So I, I started to stand on one leg and it was a lot easier.
0: Ah, yeah. <laughs> is there a reason why that would work, Joe, or is that just
2: that... Um, standing on one leg, I oh know, that, that's, is,
0: you know, a very personal... Does um, that just mean Ron was a flamingo in a past life or something?
2: Most likely. Um, <laughs> but, you know, all of my findings pretty much relate to that as well, that it is difficult, harder to do the exercises in standing. Men will leak in standing more likely. So, uh, yeah, I, I actually fully support that that's the right right way to go with the pelvic floor exercise training and I'm delighted that you're still doing them because it is really worthwhile as an ongoing thing
1: and I have a friend who I've been trying to talk into coming to see you that (laughs) uh he's and we had the surgery he had different. he had the radiation treatment oh yeah not -hmm. the radiation the laser And um, he's leaking badly at the moment. He's been in for several checks to say, no, there's nothing wrong down there. Are you doing your exercises? No. And his face drops that he hasn't done those exercises. Um, And he knows that he should. But uh, you just be able to compare with somebody like that that he hasn't done them. uh, He doesn't like dogs walking up to him because of odour and things like that. So, mm.
0: Oh well, hopefully he listens and he'll come and yeah. see Joe after yeah. this.
1: And now the only only times I have um, pressure points are, you uh, might be filling up the car at the servo, and you hear the petrol going into the tank, and the proverbial I hear something water running; it's petrol yeah. is running. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah.
2: So you can always pull up your pelvic floor a little bit there. Yeah. yeah. So did you know, um, Ron, that the pelvic floor exercises can help with the sexual function as well?
1: Only from your podcast, and yeah, okay. you know, that's something that he is pricked up to. Um, it was last week with Pike.
0: hmm maybe. Yeah. Yep, yeah, absolutely, so. yep. Yeah. So um, we, would you like to now move on to how you travelled through this journey from an emotional point of view, or would you like to talk about the sexual function first? How do you feel like that would f- would flow uh, better for you to talk about?
1: I see that they sort of come together. Um, and if you, you combine it with... In the early days, it was the priority of uh, deal with the cancer. Well, tick the box. Deal with the leakage. Tick the box. And the first time, well, I, I suppose after the urologist steering me in your direction, it was one of well, I'll do this because it's he's he said good nerve sparing, and I suppose that's the thing that got me to come in into your door. And uh, in your door, the uh, the first time there was really denial I heard everything that you said but I was going no 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 that's not me that's not me it's just something that's not right about this and um but it uh, it rang a bell and uh, as I said in my notes you know for the the week after that it was more about well good nerve sparing use it or lose it um and I suppose that thought of it's not all about me and uh, that is my wife has a um a part in this as well of course mm-hmm. and it uh you yeah. It's one thing to lose a leg and adjust to that. Where well, you can go and get a um, prosthetic leg. Prosthetic leg, yeah, yeah, and those sorts of things. And um, you get it treatable. Well, this one is either going to be a one-way street or it's not. Well, you the, can
0: get a prosthetic uh, penis yeah, as I well.
1: Uh, <laughs> the <that's>, penile implant. <laughs> that's not for me. Um, that's another
0: podcast. <laughs> yeah, because yeah.
1: Um, so that that week, it really got down to me setting aside my discomfort. Um, my uneasiness with the whole process of uh, penile rehabilitation, and talking to to my wife, and uh, then saying, "Well, okay, let's do it again." Coming and seeing you, and say, "Righty-o, um, let's give it a shot and see where it goes." And I suppose then it was, uh, "Give it your best shot." Two years was the nominal time frame for nerves to recover, um, and the good nerve sparing, use it or lose it, with a constant ringing in my ears, if you like, in that sense. So. That carried me through uh, you know the next two years and I'd say you know, as, as I recall going through the, the injection compounds um, we used the one that we use as a tester in your um, yes. in your room so the assisted injection got home in time to use that so you thought righty well there's something here that works there's hope and then um, you get into the self injecting well the, the first compound that we had was uh, soft if you like in terms of the other ones and soft I mean there was no pain, the erections didn't last too long um, and we were trying to find out what um, how much to use to get the result that you wanted and I think I got up to about 70 units and I think and, and you made the comment the next time we come around well let's try mixing it with this other stuff and you it won't won't go so quickly. And then the, uh, the erections with the pain came and, and, I mean, they hurt. They did.
0: That's right. And so about one in 20 men have pain with that particular mm. mix and so we, we stu- steered clear of that after that didn't we?
1: No we had a couple what of goes we? at it because I found some I don't know whether it was what I was eating what I was doing um, the dose that I'd used whether it was just the emotional state but a few injections that didn't bring the pain with it. Okay. And the other side of it is you know is when you rock up to the uh, the chemist for your dose of pseudofed is rocking out your license so that they're making sure you're not a drug cook yeah, <laughs> and yeah. you go well okay anyway go through all that and at the end I'm mean coming back to you saying no look that's enough of the hard stuff in comparison so hard and soft and we've gone back to the soft stuff 30 35 units was getting a result but it then as you get longer through the process uh, you're looking for some natural sort of recovery that's not happening and you're going well you know I'm, I'm beating myself up against the wall here the only thing I didn't like about the advice that you gave was the uh, the vacuum pump. I just couldn't get comfortable with it. I felt like a deviant. And and then you get to a stage where your life sort of revolves around your dick.
0: Yeah, and I remember um, you saying that. And it's yeah. actually quite a common thing that I hear is that, you know, when it goes on for too long, people feel like everything is about their penis. Yeah. And yeah.
1: yeah, and that sort of around feeling, getting to that stage of feeling, was um, then looking at what was happening between myself and my wife and... Um, you know, she was, uh, you know, totally supportive. I, um, I admire her for, you know, not only putting up with me for 47 years, but, <laughs> um, you know, the encouragement that come along the way and the mechanical process of, in, you know, you, you might go and have a play for a while and then, okay, it's, go and inject it became mechanical and lost a lot of
2: your spontaneity yeah, yeah. it
1: then got all about um, me getting an erection then you get your rocks off and yeah there was a, a bit of the the romance gone from or the intimacy I suppose yeah. rather than the romance yeah. the intimacy gone from the act that really re- unites two people in a way that nothing else can yeah, yeah.
0: so you became over time you felt obviously you felt sad and a little bit despondent about it and do you think that was be- it wasn't really then because the erection wasn't working because we could get that to work it was more around this emotional connection and the lack of spontaneity wasn't it
1: oh yeah but look i couldn't look at um this experience if you like on its own and say i was totally disappointed with it mm-hmm. um there are a number of other things that happened uh, happening around me i fell into a, well, you picked it April last year where, Ron, you're depressed. No, I'm not. Um, I'm okay. But anyway, we we took the uh, happy pills for about two months, and it was just knocking the shit out of me. I was sleeping more of the day than I was um, uh, being up and around and awake, and I'm normally quite active, and I just wasn't comfortable with that. So I stopped taking them, felt better for a while, but you were right, um, because as time went on from there, so we go April into June... Um, I just couldn't deal with everyday things. Criticism of other people—it might be a smart-ass comment. Um, somebody on the road. A total intolerance of dogs barking. TV, TV adverts. The repetitive nature of um, uh, of, of entertainment, if you like, that was around TV, and. Uh she certainly struggled with me at that time. I was a pain in the ass. Um, <laughs> she was
0: very patient, from what I remember. Sh- she
1: is, yes. Anyway, um, I just and, and we weren't communicating well at that time because either way that I dealt with that problem and the erectile function was just one of them. It wasn't many. I withdrew. Um, So I I become reclusive, if you like, in that sense, and anything that annoyed me, I walked away from it and got myself into an environment where it wasn't going to bother me. So a couple of the other combiners where I was having difficulty with uh, my eyes at the time and the glasses that were less than 12 months old and I had, um, uh, so I have glaucoma, cataracts and uh, pterygians um, so with that, with the eyesight, it's hard to get a pair of glasses that works well. So that would
2: have been a frustrating process, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. frustrating. Yep.
1: And for many, many years I've struggled with you know, hearing loss and it's a dip, particularly the female voice. So mixed environments, no good. Um, so I would walk away and you become you know, reclusive yet again. You know, the person that's sitting on the outer fringe of everything rather than in the middle. And those things played on my mind. I had a, a very bad opinion of the, the hearing industry, am I allowed to say? So, in my view, the hearing industry, it lacked, um, it was morally, socially and ethically bankrupt because it preyed on those people that were weak and in need rather than help. What they were interested in was the money in your back pocket, not the functionality that came from it. So anyway, I swallowed that um, uh, obstacle of mine, because many people didn't. and. I um, went down got myself a pair of hearing aids before Christmas. And in all honesty, since wearing them, there are times you think, well, are they really doing anything any different? But yes, I can hear better in different places. They're not the panacea. you know. Some of the fruit that they um, they sell you on are things like Bluetooth connectivity and the like. Well, yes, you can hear very well, but anybody that's listening to you, you might have noticed on the phone this morning, as you're speaking through the microphones in the hearing aids, it gets rattly. Um, and like they're overdriven uh, you'd understand mm. that so you know for me they work okay but for the hearer on a phone no it doesn't work listening mm-hmm. to music great so anyway coming towards November last year I, um, I wrote that, that note that I gave you when I come to see you so it's, uh, this is where I'm at today and this is the yep. one about um, yeah, i had been going on for, for two months just feeling like a bag of shit that nothing I could do would turn that around and uh, a lot of things that, you know, how I felt, basically, something that you don't do very often in your life, mm-hmm. but it put a peg in the ground. And even doing that helped because you could look back on it and say, well, yeah, okay, I can see what's going on, but what do I do to fix it?
0: So it's an interesting point, that, because there's a lot of evidence that shows that um, journaling, which is, in effect, what you mm-hmm. really did, is really good for your mental health. And yeah. that really made you, helped you, wasn't it? Like, kind of get it all in your head about what was going on for you.
1: Yeah, and what I, what I felt at the time was... Um, I needed to write it down because there's no way that I could articulate all of that across a 15-minute appointment with my GP Mm. so I just laid it down and said this is my problem yeah can you help and uh, and she agreed yeah I got a problem and we started some more happy pills Mm -hmm. and I'm still on them now and um, you know I'll stay on them for a good lump of the future that I can see I met with her this morning to review the last three months, and uh, it'll stay there. So. Did you
2: try a different one this time? Because the first one bothered you, made you a bit sleepy. You you said, and it didn't didn't really connect so well with you, or what what happened there?
1: Different mind approach, I think, Joe. Mm-hmm. Um, first time through. Look, they did make me sleepy, and these ones made me sleepy as well. But yep. this time, I could feel myself go through stages of the the drug taking effect. So I knew that the black dog had a hold of a hold of me, and it was more a matter of i went to sleep that's okay mm. um and i might Accepting have that up. Might to, be yeah. yeah i wasn't sleeping well of a night time uh, i'm now sleeping well of a night time um, those fleeting thoughts that you know keep you awake of a night time that's the stupid stuff they're not there great um yeah. and the stuff that happens during the day that uh, you know if anybody wants to take an unfair slice at you for whatever reason well Um, it just goes through to the keeper, as I call it now, goes straight through. But I'd suggest a a different mindset. um, When when Melissa first said, you need some help, I went, no, I'm okay. Um, And
2: Melissa, how did you make that statement? What What was your finding on that particular day?
0: The main reason was because I'd known Ron for quite a period of time by that stage, and I'd seen a big change in his attitude, really, hadn't I? Like he'd gone from being very positive very direct and very chatty too. just in my appointments with you I saw that you were more withdrawn, you weren't sending me as many emails, you used to send me funny little emails and things and I just noticed the change and I also saw you with your wife one day and I felt this feeling that she was walking on eggshells, is that fair?
1: Yes, it was fair and um, and that's one of the difficult things to, uh, I suppose for, for my wife to deal with um, and that is there are things that I can say to you and say to my GP in, um, in privacy that, yeah, we'll um, fix that. They wouldn't hear, but if she did hear them it would offend her and that was, also, that was also a part of my problem in that there are things that I wanted to say, wanted to do, but couldn't do it in his presence. Hmm.
0: But the, I think the reason for that often is is that You can mention something to a health professional, like your GP or me or your physio or whatever, and it doesn't directly affect us. Whereas if my husband said the same thing that a lot of patients say to me, I would be offended because I would feel like I personally was responsible for that, even though I'm not. So I totally understand why for partners, it's Mm. really difficult
1: for both of you. And and for anybody else out there, looking back on this three year experience, um, certainly having your partner along at uh, these appointments, beneficial, no doubt, because you both hear the same message. As you get older, you don't always hear everything that transpires in a, in a consult. So two sets of ears works, but on other on other uh, instances, there are times when you're much better off going on your own, so you can just lay the cards on the table, get that monkey off your back if you like, and uh, you're a different person when you walk out.
0: Mm. Yeah. And often I think um, you can say to like a counsellor or any sort of health professional something that you might yourself, when you actually say it out loud, think that's a bit unreasonable or I don't really think that. But mm. just verbalising it to someone who isn't going to have personal offence to that that's right, makes yeah. life feel easier.
1: Yeah. And, and look, what I do outside of here is, um, you know, I'm, I'm conscious of men's health in a number of ways and I reach out to a number of people that you know that have... Um, experience what i just did over the past couple of months and i'm, I'm working with a fellow now yeah you know he's uh, he's off to see a psychiatrist and he's um, i'm helping him do things that he can't he's near on 80 years old doesn't understand the technology i get in there and help him with the technology and, and talk so in that sense um you know helping others is is helpful in that mm. but then you can't see the the devil yourself
2: Mm. And had you had any experience with the depression in the past?
1: Yes. Right? Yep. Yeah. So
2: was this a familiar feeling for you to the black dog come back to visit you?
1: It wasn't so much familiar, but once it got me, I knew what it was. If you, if you understand that yeah yeah you know, so yeah, yeah. It's, it's not yeah it, it creeps up on you slowly so that you don't just wake up one morning and, and like melissa made the statement you're depressed um, yeah. right you, you just don't do that it, it sneaks up and, and you wonder what the bloody hell's going on you spend a period of time trying to fix all the little things you think are wrong but you get to a point where which i did this time um was i uh, I knew I needed help and and reached out. So when you go back in my history, um, I, one of my fundamental concerns is I have a fear of failure. My okay, father, yep. my father uh, committed suicide, um, okay. uh, very mm. close to my dad. and uh, it's one of had I known a little bit more about men's health, mental health, the black dog when I was you know twenty something years of age. Um, it might have been a different outcome. It wasn't, and uh, and he not here anymore. My wife had, um, had some, well, she had two knees replaced in the early 2000s, in the double O's. One of them went wrong, and she spent two years as a space cadet. So I was basically yeah. her carer for two and a half, three years, and I used to have, keep her drug chart on an A3 sheet of paper.
2: Right. Yep.
1: Um, we had more drugs in the kitchen pantry than the Calgili Six wow. ever had. Yeah. yep, um, Yeah. Yep, yep. So when and when she said, "I want my life back," it was one of, "Well, okay, but you know, just let me help you." And then she said, "No, I want it back." And then she, she, she went on to do the things that she didn't want to do, gained weight, become unhappy. I, you know, fear of failure. So that's that's the thing that haunts me in in those things. I have, um, you know, in this last twelve months, if you like, just bring it that close the thoughts of self-harm across my mind but mm. never ever seriously yeah, because yep. it's one of those things I don't know uh, you know I'll look back at my dad and say well he did that for those reasons I can see that I'm not doing that um, and I don't know how houses with uh, you know domestic violence um, sort of change with the, the same people involved but it's one of those if I see something I like I don't like I make a point of not not doing it you mm. know um Things like that, respect for other people, regardless of gender, regardless of their preferences in life, and things like that. Um, I mightn't like them, but then I just don't associate with them. I don't make them feel uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah. So
0: back to with your with the depression as well. I feel as though, and I'd really like your attitude on this, but I feel like the men that I meet that seem to suffer the black dog the most in this situation are the ones that have been quite successful and quite driven in the past, you know, and been quite orderly and organised at work, and this is kind of a situation where you feel a little bit out of control. Does that, does that – is that a little bit how you feel or not at all or
1: – No, I think you're right. The way that I would change that a little bit would be outcomes-driven. Right, yeah. Um, so, yes, in, in a working life, you're outcomes-driven. You're either on a time or a budget schedule or – You've uh, got performance targets to reach. They're all the outcomes. Mm-hmm. So in this case, you're not in control of the outcome, and there's nothing you can do to change the ingredients to make the outcome shift direction or, you know, accelerate, if you like. Yeah, It's mm-hmm. all just waiting on nerve regeneration. And when you pass that two years and it's still not happening like it should, and you give it another year and you go, oh, shit, you know, it's... Because um, you it, kept
2: hearing the two years, use it or lose it, you know, this it should I yeah. should be there by now and I'm yep. not. Yeah. You know,
1: Yeah, Yeah, and that's once again, you bring that back to the outcomes based, um, performance driven, yes, Mm. in that sense.
0: Yeah, I think that makes
2: sense. And we actually know just uh, having a diagnosis of prostate cancer has um, been shown in research to cause a 72% increased risk of depression anyway. So, just that, you know, I fell into the numbers. That's good. Yeah, (laughs) you you fell into the, the, you know, the more. Normal number actually, number, yeah. and that there could be a four times increased risk of depression in the partners. Mm-hmm. Has has your wife felt any depression? Do you think, or she she yeah, expressed look, any? She's, but, but she's had some issues
1: as well in terms of uh, uh, she's had uh, fibrillation, atrial fibrillation, a couple of times. Had an ablation, and uh, that's not fixed the the problem. So, and she's been defibrillated twice to get the heart mm. part back into sync. New Year's Eve was the last one. Oh. Um, and we had thirty people come for dinner, and <laughs> you still
0: had dinner party, didn't you? We after did, yeah. that, I we remember just, we just
1: rang them because everything was coming in. It was great. Um, everything just came in. We just rocked up, and you sat on the floor. Mm-hmm. My wife's got to say sat on the floor.
0: <laughs> yes. We'll correct that.
1: And um, on the on the lounge, and pretty much everybody made sure she did, which was good. It
0: really is that. bringing in the new year with a bang, isn't it? When yeah. you get your heart restarted.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and um, and the other one that happened, we had an accident in our our car in August last year. Went off the freeway because there's some dill in front of us at 100, backwards at 100 k's and uh, in following up um, with the uh, emergency hospital after that she had a CT scan to make sure nothing had been dislodged in the head if you like and they found this shadow and further following up um, found that she had this uh, meningioma
0: mm, that's right, right in
1: the middle of the head mm. so that's been of concern to her, we'll grow one more millimetre and we'll take it out so you know she's had her own issues to deal with in that sense and um, it's uh, it's not been easy for her this last s- 6 months from I've,
0: her own aspect but what about dealing with you and your emotions like that must have had a effect on her when you were feeling particularly easily offended maybe
1: Well I yeah because yeah she, she may say things without meaning them or you know without the cutting cutting uh, part of it um but that's the way that I took it and I just used to suck it up and walk away um so I never confronted her at the time which maybe in hindsight I should have. I, mm. I just didn't. Mm. Yeah. In in if I can, just what I suppose led me around the curve to reach out for some help was um, one of your podcasts where you had Declan Murphy yes. on. Yes. And uh, you Professor know, the,
2: Declan Murphy is the urologist from the Peter Mac in Melbourne. Mm. Yeah.
1: So I I went looking for more info for him on the web, and one of the things that he uh, he said was, you know, two out of three ain't bad. Mm. So you go to that old meatloaf song. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Not bad at all, is it? And and that sort of got me thinking, well, okay, am I really chasing the holy grail here? And uh, what's the practical, what's the realistic outcome? So adjust those the outcome expectation. And that's what started to steer me with, I need some help here. Um, that uh, Victoria Cullen, I went and looked at her website and threw a bit a touchy of touchy subject, yeah. 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 She's
0: got great info on her yeah. website.
1: And I thought that was good. And that sort of reinforced as well, just. I suppose, where I was at, where I was going. Lots of people that want to help, but you get to a point, I think, um, mentally and physically where possibly you're beyond help and you need to recognise that yourself.
0: And so now, moving forward, like, where are you at? Have have we decided two out of three ain't bad or are we moving forward still trying to find the third or where are we at?
1: Look, I've got an attitude of never give up. Um, So with the, the current... Flavour of the the happy pills, if you like, and the effect that they've had on my mind and and body, um, I've I've opened my mind again to the injections. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm pretty certain that there'll be no natural recovery of uh, of erectile function. Um, so, previously I had closed my mind when I made the decision. Sorry, when I made the decision in. Um, in November, December last year, that all bets are off. Uh, I'm going on the happy pills. I don't care about the uh, erectile recovery. Um, I just needed to uncomplicate parts of my life, uh, hence the uh, the happy pills that I'm on. They do have a detrimental effect on um, uh, what is it? The the word that.
0: The Orgasm? Libido?
1: No, the libido, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. So it does have a, a negative impact on that. And I mean, don't care. Even talking with my GP this morning, don't care. That's fine. That's yeah. just one more monkey off my back. Mm-hmm. Um, but in being able to clear the mind, and one of the things that I wrote in the note to you was coming to see you was about just after I'd started the happy pills again and... Um, uh, you know, am I being too rash in the decision that I make and making a, a lifetime decision in, in a poor mental state? So come back to the focus, get the head right and uh, I'm, I've got an open mind again now. It's just a matter of when, I think. Great. Hmm.
0: That's good. And is there anything else that you... What advice do you have for other men who might be feeling the black dog?
1: I'll have to reach out as soon as you can and it's not always people... Those people that are closest to you that can help you, you need to... Um, don't be afraid of the happy pill mm-hmm. um yes, there are going to be some consequences, but overall, you're going to be better off um and If you go through the spectrum of uh, of of not reaching out for help um anything from topping yourself to you know, self harm to feeling miserable and uh i can I can really feel since I started these happy pills four distinct stages that I sort of went through um and felt one was. The first, is the start of clearing the mind, clearing, and that was uh, not something that consciously happened. It's just things that weren't happening anymore. Things like the stupid thoughts and uh, you know, waking up and not being able to get to sleep. You know, you were able to get through. The next part was the the physical, um, well, the sleeping that continued through it. Um, the uh, uh, the physical part, you felt like you were carrying around an extra body that was all dead weight. That mm-hmm. sort of lifted. Um, the sleeping continued, uh, and then you sort of said, Well, that's, I'm aware of that. Yeah. And then I became more conscious of if I kept myself active, I didn't go to sleep. So I would keep myself moving. It didn't matter what I was doing, but.
2: You mean s- during the day? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Just not sitting down in the lounge. And it wasn't mm. sitting down in the lounge watching TV or anything. You might read a book and not off. Yeah. So just not doing that, changing yeah. your lifestyle patterns. And then I suppose to where I'm at now, um, It's, floating on a cloud is not the right expression, but you sort of cruise through things. Not a lot of things bother you. Um, And I'm on a very light dose, as you know. Mm. Um, But it certainly feels a lot better than November, December last year, and certainly the months leading up to that. Mm.
0: And do you feel okay that perhaps you'll have to stay on these medication to feel this way or forever? Or do you feel like you want to eventually wean off the medication?
1: Both of those. Mm like it's, I look at it now, there's no negative side to it no. in the moment, so there's no reason to get off it. But on the same token, if I feel better on them, I'll stay on them. And I, I said that to my GP this morning, that uh, we've set another you know, sort of review date in three months' time, and uh, we'll look at how I feel at that time. So putting those pegs in the ground to make yourself look back and say, how do I feel, do I need them? And the fact that it's not a large dose... No. Um, It's just a matter of whether my body chemically and hormonally can balance itself without them. I don't know. But until you stop it, you don't know.
0: I think a really important point that I've seen with you in this journey is that you have a very good GP and a very good relationship with her. And I think that's really important. Like, I think if you'd never get the same outcome if you hadn't have had such a great relationship with her. So I think that's another good point for men to know from this is that if you don't have a GP that you feel comfortable with and you can talk to, get another one mm. because, you know, it doesn't mean there's something wrong with your GP. You just might not click with them and you need one that you do.
1: She um, she saved my life. Um, I've had mm. PSA tests for 15, 20 years now, yeah, 18 years now, and um, we changed to a GP down our way uh, because we weren't in Perth as much. And we wanted a long holiday. So we went and asked for all of our bloods to be to be done before we went. So there were no surprises while we are away. Got a speeding fine. Mm. So, and, you yeah. um, know, yeah, no holiday that year. And uh, uh, something like two months later, yeah, no prostate either. And <laughs> saying, what the hell?
0: <laughs> Have you got any more questions, Jojo? Uh, no, I think you've just been really
2: generous with um, sharing uh, a really personal uh, aspect of it. And, you know, thank you is all I have to say, Ryan.
1: That's all right, thank you.
2: <laughs> is there
0: anything else you'd like to share with us?
1: No, it's, you know, I sort of expected this answer at the end, but um, I suppose the learning journey for me never started until after, um, after the the prostate was out mm-hmm. and then it was leakage, okay, and you know, penile recovery, which I never saw as a part of my future, changing tack there and saying, yes, well, let's have a go. That's the learning that started and even understanding the mechanics or the anatomy of how an erection occurs.
0: Mm, Because you never have to think about it before,
1: have you? It just happened. Yeah,
0: exactly. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Mm, So I think maybe the big thing is that men and their partners should go into this journey with is keep an open mind.
1: Absolutely, yes. Yep. Yep.
0: So on that note, we'll wrap it up. Thank you so much, Ron, for coming. We really appreciate it. You were great. You're welcome. Thanks. Bye.
1: Bye. (laughs) Gonna tell you about a boy lives inside me
2: Hi, this is Dr. Joe. Thank you so much for listening to our program today. And we're pleased to let you know that we will be having weekly podcasts, not fortnightly, as originally proposed. And this is because of the popularity of our podcast. We're getting so many emails, so many questions, and so much feedback. And Melissa and I greatly appreciate it. What we'd really love you to do is share our podcast with anyone you think might benefit, including any man in your life. Simply download off Spotify or subscribe to thepenisproject.org and then you'll get a weekly email of our newest releases. Also feel free to send us a review. And this will greatly help in our ongoing ability to bring you new and fresh information, as that's the way we build what comes next. We also have show notes attached, and this gives a bit of a background into any additional resources or explanations of what we're talking about. Finally, it's my great pleasure to let you know that PROST, the exercise program which sponsors our podcast, is now available on a USB resource for any man diagnosed with prostate cancer, an exercise program. Clinicians can buy these, as well as the Everyday Bloke. So feel free to check out prost.com.au. Meanwhile, let's keep the conversation
0: going.
1: Through the sadness and the sorrow Of those dread dark days I learned to value each and every one Of those warm afternoons Boys on their